Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, church. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. So grateful that we can approach the very throne of heaven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that has been credited to our account as followers of Christ to think that we can draw near uh, to a holy God and that we uh, can lift our voices to Him, that we can call out to Him in prayer, that He hears our voice. I, I was thinking, and you know, we've been walking through the last part of the book of James, and I thought uh, we'd probably finish that in a, in a week, but my heart has been so convicted as we see James, just give us such a picture of the power of prayer in the life of a believer. And, you know, it stirs my heart to think that we have access, that we can approach a loving Father, that we can draw near to Him, and that so many times we can be distracted, and maybe we don't call on Him until we find ourselves in need of something maybe specific. Uh, I heard the story of this guy that was cruising around uh, the outlet mall parking lot, and I don't know if you've ever been cruising around there looking for a parking place. I'm not sure what it's like right now, but I bet it is busy with the school time, kind of people going back uh, to school, and in that kind of dynamic, well, this guy was driving around there, and he was looking for a parking place. The rain was coming down. His wife had one more store to go, and he's driving around, and he's looking, and he finally, just at the end of, of his rope, he says, Lord, I pray uh, that you would uh, that you would just open up a parking place for me. He said, if you'll do that, he said, I'll tell you what, he said, I'll, I, I, I'll quit cussing. He, he said, I'll I'll do just about anything. He said, fact is, he said, I'll even go to church. And about that time, a cloud kind of opened and the sun shined down on an empty place. And he said, oh, never mind, never mind. He said, I found one. And so this can kind of be true for many of us, right? We begin uh, focusing on our needs. And, and as we look at the book of James, you know, we see in chapter four, he said this. He said, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the motive so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, we should be desperate for the power of God in our lives and in the midst of our church, in the midst of uh, this world. And truth is, we struggle so many times trying to get by in our own strength, trying to do our own thing. I heard a story of a little young guy. He was uh, mowing grass to get some extra money, and his dad would kind of haul him around with his push mower, and he would take him different places. And uh, taken down the road, and his dad dropped him off for a few minutes, and the guy, the little kid was pushing him in the yard, and his dad had told him how to make those cool little lines that you see in some people's yards, and so he's working on all this, and everything is looking great, but this particular guy that he's mowing grass for had decided to landscape his yard uh, a little differently, and so he had taken these large stones, and there was a few places that he had decided, you know what, this will look cool right in the middle of my yard, and so he had these big stones that were out there, and the kid has kind of mowed around. Uh, all those kind of things, and it's been long enough for him to be done. His dad kind of pulls back up and sees him there, and the kid has gotten to this place that he says, you know what, here are these 
uh, these, these, this yard is looking so good everywhere except there. And so he's like, I've got to do something about that. Well, the little kid didn't have a weed eater. He hadn't got to that spot yet where he kind of learned all those things. And so he's, he's one by one. He's trying to pull all those little blades of grass that are around these stones. And he's pulling one at a time, pulling this one, pulling that one. And he's thinking, you know what? I'm never, ever going to get done with this. And so he goes and he's got his little pouch there and he says, you know what? My dad gave me a pocket knife. I know what to do with that. And so he's kind of whittling away at those things and he's going back and forth. And finally he's like, this is not working. It's going to be like the end of summer and I'm only making 20 bucks for this yard. I can't do this. So he's, he says, I'm going to do something different. So he bends over and he says, I'm going to move these stones. And so he's grunting and he's straining and he's pulling with everything that he's got. I know some of you have been in that spot. He's, he's trying with everything he can just to get this thing rolled over. He barely wiggles it a little here, a little there. His dad kind of gets, gets a little closer and walks up and he sees the kid just struggling and struggling and struggling. Finally, the kid just in exhaustion and frustration and discouragement he just lays down on the grass, and he's done. His dad eases over to him, and he said, Son, he said, have you done everything that you could do to move that? He said, have you done all that you know to do? The little boy looks at him, and he says, Yes, Dad. He said, I've tried with everything that I know how. He said, have you, can you not see? He said, I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. And the dad looked at him, and he said, Well, there was one thing left. He said, You could have asked your father to move it for you. And I'm afraid so many times we are trying to handle life in our own self-sufficiency and our own strength, and we are uh, struggling in so many ways. And the truth is there are stones that are different for each of us, but we would, if we were honest, we would admit that there are things in our life that are bigger than us, right? That there are stones that we're unable to move on our own. Sometimes it could be a stone of anger, right? That's just set up in our hearts, right? Maybe it's something that happened to you in the past. Maybe there's a situation that has been there. Maybe it uh, is a, an addiction to pornography or some type of uh, other addiction that is there. Maybe it's a, uh, an area where you just can't forgive. Maybe you've uh, just dealt with that. Maybe there's just this apathetic response to uh, the things of God, and you know that, you know, James said, hey, the one who knows uh, the right thing to do and doesn't do it to him, it's anyway, say, you know what, there's just this apathetic uh, attitude toward the things of God. And, and the reality is that our Heavenly Father sees our struggle. He sees our pride. He sees this self-sufficient way that we have. And He is waiting for us to draw near in repentance. That he, He's waiting for us to draw near in seeking His face. Last week we said that many times that the very last thing we do is pray, that we have this attitude that says, well, there's nothing else that we can do, so the only thing left to do is to pray. Andrew Murray said this, God works only in answer to prayer. And then he said, in prayer, we change our natural strength for the supernatural strength of God. Well, isn't that a isn't that a good thought that when we come to God in independence that we exchange our natural strength? And I don't know about you, but, man, we are weary and weak so many times. And in, we exchange this natural strength for the supernatural strength of God. R.A. Torrey said this, Nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that that lies outside of the will of God. Sometimes there's stones in our life that we need help moving. And sometimes there are stones in our life that are separating us, that are keeping us from a clear line of communication with the Father. 
You know, the verse that Clark uh, quoted and prayed, he said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The last part of that verse, there's more to it. By the way, he said, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He said, there's a condition to that. You're going to draw near to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he said, when you do that, uh, you draw near. And he says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Could it be that there are stones of sin? And this is a question as we walk in today. Could it be that there are stones of sin that we are holding on to in the midst of our lives that are hindering our ability to communicate with the Father, that are hindering the power of God being displayed in our lives, that are hindering power in our prayers. Now, James in chapter 5, he has given us some instruction. He said, uh, when you're sick, he said, we want you to pray. He said, when you're suffering, we want you to pray. He said, when you're uh, cheerful, to rejoice and to praise. And he gives us this picture of this attitude and this heart of prayer that we are to have. And after sharing those verses, in verse 16, he says this, therefore. Now, when we see that word, we're we're building on all of those uh, things that were before that. We see this call to prayer. And then he says, therefore, verse 16 is where we're going to jump in. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. I think this is interesting. If I was just picking what would be written here, I would have picked something like this that said, therefore, confess your sins to the Father. That's how I would have completed that sentence if, it's, if, if it wasn't in here. Right? I, didn't get a, I can't take my little black uh, Bible highlighter and blot that part out and mark in what I want. But he says something interesting. He says, confess your sins to one another. And, and I, I'm thinking of this, and I wonder, could it be that this is why? Could it be that, that the attitude that we have towards sin and toward uh, the, the body of Christ when it comes to walking together in that? Could it be that that's what hinders revival so much in our nation? You know, we look and we look at the history of great revivals and there was always, uh, when, when revivals took place, there was always a repentance and a confession among God's people where people uh, recognized where they were and they got right with God, where, where they humbled themselves and they said, you know what, anything that stands between me and a holy God, I've got to lay those kind of things down. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, right, where, where there's this thing that I'm holding on to. James says, listen, you know, we, we are to confess your sins to one another. Truth is, we're more, and many times I think all of us can find ourselves here, we're more about covering up our sin than we are confessing our sin. We're more about covering up our sin than we are confessing our sin. We're more concerned Right, even in a, in an outdoor worship service, we we come and, and a lot of times we uh, we think about all the things that we're going to wear. Maybe there there are people that are in cars that nobody else will see that are dressed up today. I, I, I'm and and that's a great thing. I'm not uh, picking on any of that. But the reality is that when we think about coming to church and we think about coming into the presence of God, uh, not that uh, He's isolated to a gathering of His believers, but but Scripture says we're two or more gathered in My name that He's with them. So we see this picture. When we think about coming into the presence of God, I've heard people say, you know what, when we come into the presence of God, we're, we're, the reason that we dress a certain way, the reason we do this is because we're bringing our best, we're doing those kind of things. But sometimes I'm convicted that we're more concerned about looking clean than we are being clean. That We're, we're more concerned about what uh, we see on the outside. And Scripture tells us that, that God uh, is more concerned about the heart, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we're more concerned about looking clean than actually being clean. And the reality is that sin likes to hide. Sin likes to stay in the very depths of the secret places in us because the reality is it doesn't grow well in the light. It doesn't grow well when when it's exposed. It doesn't grow well in 
the light. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So this question, confess to who? And, and maybe you're like me, you would have filled in that first blank with to the Father. And Scripture would tell us that that is not a bad answer, right? That we do confess our sin uh, to God. First John 1, 9 says that he is, if, we, if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and righteous or faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad that we can approach the throne room of heaven, that we can come repentant and that we can confess our sin. But then James, he says, confess to one another and pray for one another. There's a dual picture here. He said there's this, this, uh, this confession that's made, this mutual confession that, that is pictured in a, a relationship with another believer. And he says we confess our sin uh, to one another and we pray for one another. And then he says there's something that happens. And he says there's a so that. So we confess to God for forgiveness, right? But we confess to one another. And he gives us a picture here. He says we confess to one another so that you may be healed. Now, I love that he said to one another and not the priest and not any uh, of, of that kind of picture. It wasn't that we have to uh, go to this one person because we need a mediator between God. We have a great high priest, a mediator between God and men. His name is Christ Jesus, and I'm so uh, thankful uh, for the work of the cross that enables us uh, to have a mediator, uh, a, a better sacrifice, right? A, a greater, a great high priest. Man, what an incredible picture that we have. But he says that we're to confess our sin to one another. Forgiveness comes from repentance. I wrote this down. It says, forgiveness comes from repentance and confession before the Father and healing from the fellowship of believers in accountable relationships with one another. I want you to soak that in for a second. We experience forgiveness through repentance and confession before the Father and healing from fellowship of other believers in accountable relationships with one another. You know, we launched our D group ministry and uh, groups of three to five same gender uh, folks that are coming together. And many of you are involved in some of those ministries and, and involved in uh, some of those discipling relationships. And if you're not, I encourage you to connect in that because it's in that kind of relationship. It's in that kind of setting that we see these kind of things take place in a beautiful way. It's in one-on-one -on -one environments where we have uh, people that we trust because John MacArthur says this, maintaining open sharing and praying relationships with other Christians will help believers from bottoming out in their spiritual lives. You know, I look back at places in my walk with Christ when uh, after I came to faith in Christ and began to uh, try to live this uh, this uh, Christian life, and my, my perspective of the Christian life was that somehow I was going to try harder, and I was going to defeat all these kind of things that were in my life, and I would read Scripture, and I'd say, you know what, I've got to be this, and I've got to be that, but I realized that that the Christian life is not about me simply living for Jesus, but Jesus living his life in and through me. And when uh, we see the power of God in our lives, right, and we see uh, just this picture of it's not about me uh, continuing and figuring out how I'm going to try harder, but it's about me dying to myself and surrendering to Christ and allowing Christ to live his life in and through me. I think about these iron sharpens iron relationships and how many struggles and sins and things that I walked into because I had no one else in my life, because I was convinced that I could do life on my own and what things could have been have. Such relationships, they give, MacArthur says, spiritual strength that provides victory over sin. And they also provide godly pressure to confess and forsake sins before they become overwhelming to the point of total spiritual defeat. 
maybe there are some of us that are struggling with the same sin over and over. I don't know about you, but there's been uh, times in my life where the same sin, the same sin that I've said, you know what, uh, it, it kind of like the guy with the parking place. Lord, if you'll open this parking place, right, I'll give this up. I'll stop this. Lord, if you'll forgive me one more time. And somehow we find ourselves with these strongholds, these things in our life, these boulders that are bigger than anything. We can move on our own, and we find ourselves falling into those same things over and over again. And maybe we're struggling with a particular sin in our life like that. And, and there's this picture that you would go to this close Christian friend, to this uh, close brother or sister in Christ, and you would say, you know what? Uh, I, I just need you to know I'm struggling in the midst of this, and I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you to pray for me, and I want, you to, uh, I, want, I want you to ask me how I'm doing in this area. I want you to pray, and I want you to connect. And, and we've got to be careful, right? When we start thinking about confessing sin, like I want you to know at the end, I'm just going to open mic, right? You guys can share whatever you, I'm really not. But like if God speaks to you, but, but seriously, when we think about this, the more public the sin, the more public the confession. There's, uh, my dad used to tell a joke, right, where the, the people were just kind of got uh, carried away, in a, and, and they were in the midst of this church service, and the guy says, you know, hey, tell it all, tell it all. People are coming up, and they're confessing sin, and this one guy comes up and confesses something that's just hideous, and the, the preacher's been going, tell it all, tell it all, and when he confessed that, he said, man, I don't know if I'd have told that. And a lot of times we think of those kind of things, right? And there's some wisdom in, in the level of transparency, in the way that we navigate some of those kind of things. And the more public the sin, the more public the confession needs to be because we've got to be careful in there because the reality is that confession requires confidentiality. And it requires people uh, to be loving one another the way God has called us to love one another in the body of Christ, in relationships that can sharpen one another. I heard about these three pastors, and they had gone uh, out of town on a little retreat they had gone and they were going on a little fishing trip and they're out there and the pastors are in this moment. One of them looks at the other and he says, hey, you know what? Um, we never really just get to be ourselves. So he said, you know, I, let, let's just be real today and let's tell the area that we struggle the most. He said, let's just be honest and share that kind of thing, just our greatest sin so that we can be praying for one another. Well, the first pastor says, I, you know, I've never really shared this with anybody, but I have to admit, he said, I struggle with gambling. He said, I, I just struggle. Sometimes I sneak out at night. I, I drive over to the casino and I, I just, I mean, it's just crazy. He said, I, I just need to confess that. The second pastor says, you know, I'm ashamed to admit this, but he said, I, I have a problem with drinking. He said, my family and I, we go out of town and we're on vacation. He said, I find myself just drinking when I can kind of get away with it. I find myself bringing those things back. He said, I can't believe that I do those kind of things. And the third pastor, he just sat and he's waiting and waiting. And the guys are looking at him. They said, we're not leaving till you confess what's going on in your life. Will you tell us what your struggle is? And the pastor looks at him. He said, all right. He said, my greatest sin, I admit it. He said, it's gossip. And he said, I can't wait to get off this boat. Right, we, You guys saw that coming. But the truth is that for us to function as the body of Christ, the body of Christ, and individually the way the body of Christ puts an end to gossip, we got to put a guillotine to gossip, right? we got to kill that because that is the, the thing that prevents us from being comfortable in sharing the reality of uh, the struggles that we may have in, in sharing the truth of where we're walking because we can only confess our sin to one another when we are loving one another. And this is critical to our Christian walk. It's critical to power in our prayer life for us to have those kind of relationships. Because the truth is, repentance and confession, it clears the airways to heaven, right? It clears uh, th this, this, this communication line so that we can call on the Lord, so that we can approach his 
Throw now, we've all probably got a cell phone here today. You know, we were uh, working just before the service, and some of you are watching online. We're so grateful uh, for those of you that tune in uh, on social media or that tune in through uh, church online, and, and we're just thankful for the blessing of technology, and we're working before church trying to make sure that our connection is clear. Uh, for a student, that there's this thing called, uh, I wrote it down, it's called nomophobia. Did you, have y'all ever heard of that? Yeah, it's nomophobia. I guess that's how you pronounce it. And it's this fear of not having your, your phone, right? It's this fear of not having your mobile device. And we all can maybe think of those times where we're like, where is my phone? And you, you like pat around and you, you felt it vibrate, but it wasn't even on there, right? We have these false feelings, like these fake vibrating sensors. Some of you have felt that kind of thing. And when we don't have that, there's an anxiety around because we want to be connected. We want to be connected to one another. We have this fear of that. Vacations are playing that way. Where we're going, we're looking to hey, does this have good Wi-Fi? Because I want to make sure that while I'm there that everything is connected. You remember the, remember the, the Verizon commercials of, of old where the guy would drive around in his car and you would hear him say what? Yeah, can you hear me now, right? And, and, and it used to make me so aggravated at him because everywhere I drove, he had never been. And I would, I would call like for support to Verizon. I'd like have problems and you'd, you'd call and you're driving up the road and all of a sudden you drop the call and they call back in a minute. And they're like, oh, we must have lost you. And I said, yeah, the can you hear me now guy never made it up this road, right? They probably were tired of hearing those kind of jokes, right? And I was, I was nice, but I would say that because I was thinking, you know, it, it was this constant picture, but we are so connected to, to our devices and to uh, one another in that way that we wonder, hey, man, I don't want to be without that, but we should desire connection with the Father greater than connection for anything else in this world. And, and it's a sad thing to think that we are more concerned many times about our connection to uh, social media, our connection to uh, the internet, our connection to all those things than we are our connection to the Father. See, we are prepared for prayer. We wonder sometimes, why is it that I don't feel like there's power in my prayers? We're prepared for powerful prayer through repentance and prayer. You know, those are words sometimes that we don't hear a lot, this repentance. But this picture of confessing our sins and praying for one another, it's, it's interesting when you look at the, uh, that the original language, it's in this tense that gives us this picture of this is something that is ongoing. This is something that wasn't just for a moment, but this should be a, a regular ongoing part of our Christian walk, that we should be in intentional, accountable relationships with other believers, with like-minded followers of Jesus Christ that we trust, that we are walking through, that we are praying for one another, that we are confessing our sin to one another, that we are leaning on one another, and that we are not doing life. Alone. See, this picture of mutual honesty and mutual confession in the body of Christ, man, it should be a characteristic that describes God's people. It should be something that is just known, right? That, that, that I, I know that I can't go to my workplace and I can't talk about this. I know that, that there are these kind of things that maybe you can't deal with, but it should be known that in the body of Christ, that when we come together with other believers, that that is a safe place where people have pure motives, right? And if there's gossip that's going on, it, it kills that transparency. And it's time that, that the Christian people say, you know what, there can be no more of that. This thought that says, you know what, this person told me this and I just want you to pray for them. I want you to understand that your prayers are going to have no 
power for them when you're confessing gossip and engaging in that and you're going to cloud the prayers, prayers that are in your own uh, life. It is so critical that we commit to this picture of saying, you know what, we're going to pray and we're going to fall on our face before a holy God when we navigate these things because it says the effective prayer and, and some of your translations will say the, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much or availeth much. That's the kind of language that we see. And so there's this picture, and y'all stay with me because we're going to go fast and we're going to land this plane quickly. But the scripture says that, that, that we can see that there's a prayer of a righteous man that's effective, that a righteous man's prayers are powerful. And look at this example James gives us. And I'm thinking when I read the first name in this, could he not have picked somebody that wasn't so, like when I look at them and I think about what they accomplished in the scriptures, I'm thinking surely it's not, uh, he, like, like don't pick Elijah, right? Pick somebody else, right? But he says this, Elijah, Verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours. And I'm thinking for a minute, man, it couldn't have been like mine. I mean, I know how big of a wreck I am. And when I read that, and he said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Now, if we understand what our nature is like, then we're going to recognize that this is not a testament that we should be proud of. That we're not looking and going, hey, you know what? I'm just like Elijah. I'm a righteous guy. No, 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 no. You read Romans 3, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Is this really talking about me? Like, justified and, and for the wrath of God to be poured on us. And we are unrighteous before a holy God. That There is a, a righteousness that's required to be before the throne room of heaven. And it is a righteousness that we cannot have on our own. It is a righteousness that is required, that is outside of ourselves, that is outside of our strength. We need a righteousness that is from somewhere else. And, and thanks be to God when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are in Imputed his righteousness that, that we uh, that we that God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us and that he sees man, can you look at your neighbor and go if you are in Christ you are righteous positionally so we want to we want to add that at the end. So when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we surrender our life to Christ. Positionally, we are made right with God. Positionally, we are, uh, are given the righteousness of Christ. But the reality is that if your spouse is here with you and they looked at you, they probably were like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> You're righteous. You're thinking, well, positionally, that's true. At the time that we repent of our sins and are saved by his grace, but practically, it's being fleshed out in our life as Christ lives his life in and through us, and he conforms us to the image of his son. As James said, trials, uh, he said, consider it pure joy, the trials of your faith, because they're working. And so practically, what's true of us positionally as we follow Christ, practically, those things are being worked out in us day by day. And one of the ways that that uh, practical righteousness is worked out in our life is when we recognize and we confess our sins and we pray for one another. See, it's the practical pursuit of righteousness in our daily lives that produces power in our prayer lives. Don't miss this, right? It's the practical pursuit of righteousness in our daily lives that uh, that produces power in our prayer lives. I used to say that our the, the power in our public life is directly related to purity in our private life. And as I was reading this, I decided to add a sentence to that. So power in our daily life is directly connected to our prayer life and our 
prayer life, the power in our prayer life is directly connected to purity in our private life. Johnny Hunt says there's two things that we need uh, at all times, that we need to be a people who are close and clean. Now, we want to be drawing near to God, and we want to do that in purity. Because the reality is when we're harboring sin and when we've got that sin that we're holding on to, my, my father-in-law used to say, you know what? Sin will keep you from this book. He would write in Bibles that we would give to graduates, and he would say, sin will keep you from this book. And he said, this book will keep you from sin. Sin will keep you from pursuing the presence of God because you recognize where you're at. And, and, and I'm thankful that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you are thinking, hey, you know what? You don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the sin that I've held on to. You don't know the things that have happened in my past. Can I tell you this morning, the best news that I can think of in this moment is that our loving Father, that our great God, that He takes a long look at a man's life, right? When we read of David and we see God refer to him, and He said He was a man that was after God's own heart. It was a man who had committed adultery and murder. I'm thankful that God doesn't take and look at these moments in our life and say, you know what, There's, you're, you're done, you're finished. But I'm thankful that through his grace that we can receive forgiveness, that he takes a long look at a man's life. And the thing that makes us righteous is not the things that we've done, but it's a, it's a righteousness that's given from him. Man, thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Man. So we want to be close and we want to be clean. And and those two things, they go together. I want you to look at this prayer. We see Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly. So there, there, was, there was this picture of confessing sin to one another. So there's this picture of this righteous prayer. So there's this practical uh, righteousness that we see. There's this purity that we should see. So I'm going to give you some, some, some letter P's really quick. So we're going to see some purity that we should approach the very throne of heaven. This practical righteousness that we're pursuing. Not perfect. Uh, but humble and repentant, right? We see uh, this. We see a passion. It says that, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, that, that he was a mess, right? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So there's a passion. So there's a purity in our approach to the throne. There's a passion in our prayers. And, and Elijah was a regular guy, right? He was a regular Joe. He was just like us. He had a nature just like us. In First Kings 18, oh, man, I wish we had time to go through that whole passage. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. But as we look at that, there's this incredible victory, right? There's this incredible moment in First Kings 18. He's talking junk. He's doing all this stuff, right? There's this, this duel between the gods of Baal right there. We see this, uh, just this, uh, the prophets of Baal right there. And, and, uh, and he's the only one. Like There's 450 of them. There's just one of him. And we see this picture where he prays, fire falls from heaven. There's this incredible moment. We see the rest of, of this picture of the, of the prayer for rain. And then we find him in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, under a juniper tree, running from, Jun uh, from Jezebel, wishing he was dead. And, and here's this guy. He's, he's done all this stuff that was good. Then he's under a juniper tree, wishing he was dead. Uh, he's asking God to kill him. This is where he's at. There's this powerful moment. Then there's this other uh, picture of just the struggles that he had. But I want to read 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, just a, a couple of verses out of there, and, and we're going to land uh, and be done. But y'all hang with me for just a second, because I want you to see something uh, about this moment. We see this incredible uh, picture just of the power of God in uh, prayer and just his response. And Elijah, I'm going to read just a little bit of this. and it says, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you are 
Lord, that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. See, there was a purpose. It was, wasn't this, this impure motive, right? It was this uh, beautiful picture that he was uh, praying for. And it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized him. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he slew them there. And then Elijah said to Ahab, Now this is where this is the part that James refers to. And he says, Elijah says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab goes to eat and drink. Now I want you to see what Elijah does, and you'll see why there's power in the midst of his prayers. He's walking in the will of God, but he says this. He said, he went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. And it came about the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the seas. Now, now there's this picture. He is humble before God. Ahab is going to eat and drink and do his thing. Elijah says, you know what? I'm going to get up on the mountaintop. And he's up on the mountaintop humbly with his face. There's a position of prayer right there, right? There's a passionate prayer, but there's a position of prayer. He's bowed down on his face, knees before God, and he is watching and he is praying passionately, humbly himself before God. And he says to his servant, he said, go look, see if the rain's coming. See if the clouds are coming. Go and look. And, and, and he's looking out and he comes back and he says, I, I don't see it. He says, look for the cloud. Keep looking for the cloud. There's a persistence in his prayer. He didn't just fall down on his face and say, Lord, send rain and look up and say, well, it's kind of pretty outside. I guess the Lord didn't hear and just give up. There was a persistence in his prayer. He says, look for the cloud. And I can imagine Elijah bowed down Holy God, thank God. I pray, Lord, that you would sin ray, that you would glorify yourself. Here's this passion and this purity before God, this place of prayer. He's up on the mountaintop. How many, how long has it been since we've been in that secret place that we see Jesus refer to where we get alone, right? And we're in our prayer closet and we're alone before the Father. We're up on the mountaintop. Where is that? And there's this persistence, right, that he is holding on. And Scripture says, that it came about that seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot to go down for, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the cloud grew black with clouds and wind. The sky grew black with clouds and wind. And there Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Man, there was just this beautiful picture of God's power being displayed through a man with a nature just like ours that we have access to the very throne room of heaven. And I just wonder, what is the things that we are holding on to? What is it that we are holding? What is it that we are regarding? Because the reality is that we need to turn loose of those things. We need to fall on our face before a holy God. We need to stretch up and get hold of the, of the glories and, the, and the, the blessings of heaven. And we need to hold on. We see this picture of confessing and repenting, this picture of, of just laying down the sin that we are regarding. And maybe you're hearing you say, you know what, I, I don't even know where to start. Well, I can promise you that is a prayer that God will answer. Psalm 139, we see this prayer, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And when we come clean before the Father, if there's something that is separating us from uh, being able to enter his presence and 
with just this practical pursuit of righteousness. May we confess and repent before him today. May we seek out relationships in our life where iron can sharpen iron and where we can be transparent, and may we be those kind of people. May we slay the guillotine of gossip, and may we say, you know what? I want to be the trustworthy brother that can, uh, can speak edification and encouragement and that can come alongside and that can walk with those that are struggling. Because the reality is that there are strongholds in our own lives and especially uh, in my life and around this world, right? And we look at our country, right? There are things that we cannot accomplish on our own. There are, we need a move of God in our nation. We need his mercy and his grace. We need a healing in our land. And it'll only become when the people of God get right with God and are dependent on God and come before his face with no impure motive, with not desiring our own glory and our own things, but to come and say, God, I know that you're a good father, Lord, and you see who I am. And I'm thankful that he can take a man with a nature like mine. Man, and I know the depths of my sin, the depths of my heart. I know where he's brought me from. And I'm thankful that he can say, you know what, Elijah had a nature like that as well. And God can work through the powers, the prayers of his people. His power is available. He's waiting on some of us just to say, you know what, there's a stone here bigger than I can move. Lord, I see he desires that. And it's not this arrogance and pride, but this humility that says, you know what, I'm broken. I am struggling. Lord, we are in desperate need of your hand to move. And that's the kind of prayer that God calls us to. It's that kind of prayer that produces the purity in the, in the heart where we can see his will and we can hear his will, we can pray according to it. I don't know where you're at this morning. I want to I wanna ask you to, to just bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. I want to ask the band to come, and, and we're going to sing uh, just one song, just in worship to our great God. But I want to have just a time during that that would be a time that would be just a time that you could go to him in prayer. Uh, it might be that uh, that you want to come, you want to kneel. You know, this this might want to turn around where your seat's at and kneel. You may want to we want to just assume a posture of prayer in your vehicle. I don't know how God would be speaking this morning, but, but in this moment, I believe that there's a time that we might have an opportunity to confess our sin to the Father, that we might say, God, we need your presence, Lord, and that we might experience forgiveness. We might experience his grace, that we might come before him clean, that we could be close our prayers could be effective. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to him, maybe you're here this morning and you feel the spirit of God speaking to you, drawing you. You know that there's a righteousness that you don't possess, that, that there's nothing good in you, that, that you, you need his righteousness, that you need forgiveness from sin. Scripture says that we can come boldly before his throne, that we can, we can fall uh, in, in surrender to him, that he would save us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He could cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that he, through the finished work of the cross, that, that he has paid our price, that he's paid a, a debt that we owed. He has taken our place, that we can surrender our lives, call on his name. He'll save us and forgive us and cleanse us. And if we're in Christ, we can 
through that righteousness, through, through Christ, we can approach the very throne room of heaven. And may we call out to him in these moments for our families, for our nation. May we come clean. May we come boldly. May we come dependent. Father, we love you. We ask for you to do what only you can do in our lives, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name.